How's it going, everybody? This is Chris. Welcome to episode 334 of X-Lapsed, where it's still early in the day here, and yet I've already had a day. Um, woke up this morning, and I, I've talked about, uh, you know, free time and how free time is, is usually something of a premium. And I got up to share the, uh, the final installment of X-Men vignettes over at the blog and discovered that my theme, my, my blog theme, or WordPress theme or whatever, decided to reset itself. So everything looked kind of, well, I'd say crappy, but I, I think it looks pretty bad to begin with. So it looks even worse than, than I had designed it to look. And I'm not a coder. You know, I don't know anything about codes. That's why I was on, on uh, you know, Blogger for so long, because it was plug play. It may have been a pain in the ass, but it was easy. You know, it was the devil I knew. Whereas this, everything is third party with WordPress. And um, boy, if you're looking for answers, they they are not too forthcoming with those answers. So um thing of it was, and I've had this problem before, all the uh, thumbnail images were different sizes. So it looked like a mishmash. You couldn't tell what anything was. You know, everything was zoomed in to the point where... It's like, I think that's a cheek. Maybe it's a finger. I, I, I don't know what it is. You'd never know the topic that I was going to discuss, you know, without actually clicking on the link here. So you would never be able to tell from the thumbnail, from the way it zoomed in the way it did. So spent the better part of two and a half hours <laughs> trying to figure out coding, which I already did about a month and a half ago. I did this whole rigmarole, set everything to be at least uniform. You know, I mean, my thumbnails are not the best because I made my thumbnails and uh, I'm not very good at that kind of thing. But at least there was uniformity. You know, you could see what you were going to read if you were going to read it at all. You knew what you were getting into. And so I already did this whole coding fiasco. But sometime between yesterday and today, yeah, the entire thing reset. So I had to search through all the coding and make just the right changes to, you know, set the uniformity back up. Then I had to re-upload pictures, and uh, it was a pain in the ass. But it's done. It's done. I, you know, my plan for today was get up, write the script, do the show, bada-bing, bada-boom, get on with my day. And uh, here we are several hours into it, and we're just barely hitting the record button. So um, I should probably quit wasting time, yours and mine, and uh, just get into the topic we're going to be discussing today, which is... The X-Lives of Wolverine number four. This had a May 2022 cover date. Stories called Living Dangerously. 
Written by Benjamin Percy, with art by Joshua Cassar, with Federico Visatini. Vis, Visatini? How, how do I say that word? Vicentini. Vicentini. I apologize to Federico for saying your name wrong many times. Colors, Frank Martin. Letters, VCs, Corey Petit. You know, I've been calling him Corey Petit forever. It might be Pettit. I don't know. Uh, designs, Tom Muller. Edits, Baumgartner, Basso, White, Sobolski. Cover price, five bucks. This one went on sale March the 9th of 2022. Now, this issue is well, literally all over the place, so um, hopefully I managed to uh, word this in a way that's uh, somewhat easy to follow. Uh, hopefully, you know, for me and, and you. Now, we opened years ago at the Weapon X facility, where Abraham Cornelius is uh, being a dick to poor Logan. But first, he takes a peek at a blood sample of Logan's through his microscope, where he finds a very bizarre bit of business floating around some evil-looking parasites with eyes and everything. Because yes, what this story needed was some Venom symbiote action. More on that in a bit. Anyway, Corny uh, claims that he's been testing the limits of Logan's body, which stands to reason. He also exposits that he's mind-wiping our boy daily, so I guess no harm, no foul, right? Only before he can run this current experiment, Cornelius sees red. And yeah, he actually says that he's seeing red when Arcady invades his mind, which, I mean, this probably could have been like an Arnold Schwarzenegger line if they, you know, if he was picked to play Omega Red in a cartoonishly awful mid-90s X-Men movie. Anyway, Red Cornelius pumps up the voltage on the tub of electricity he's got Logan laying in. Now, the way he looks at it, if Wolvie never actually becomes, well, the Wolvie we know they'll have a much easier time taking out Xavier, which, you know, it does stand to reason, right? But it also begs the question why he didn't just start here seven issues ago. I mean, that's something that we've brought up before, and we will be bringing it up again. Like, why did we waste all that effort doing things that didn't matter? It's like, is Mikhail Rasputin actually me when I start a project? Because I do everything the hardest, wrongest way, when the easy way is... Usually, right there in front of me, I just choose not to do it. Anyway, from here, we hop to our double-page spread of roll, colon, cred, and boy, do we have some names here. Now, as with the past several issues, or maybe all of the issues here, uh, these are broken up into ten little subsections. Each one is, you know, a different time, a different place. So, we're going to start with, uh, we're going to say ten, Life 10? I don't know, it has the X after it. We're on Krakoa. And we've got Logan, Charles Xavier, Jean Grey, Omega Red, and Mikhail Rasputin. Then for Life 9 in the Middle East, it's uh, Logan, and he's in his Hulk 181 outfit. Canada for Life 8, we got Logan and Dr. Abraham Cornelius. Columbia for Life 7, we got Logan in red, you know, typeface, uh, because he's been Omega Redified, I guess. Also Sabretooth and Charles Xavier. Westchester, New York, for Life 6, Logan and Charles Xavier. I don't think we've seen that one yet. Japan for Life 5 is Logan. Uh, World War II Pacific Ocean for Life 4 is Logan and Redacted. World War I France for Life 3, and it's just Logan. The American West in Life 2, and it's just Logan. And finally, Canada for Life 1, we've got Logan and Captain Benedict Xavier. And of course, that's, uh, you know, where the icebreaker and the, the omega retified whale, you, you remember that story, right? Anyway, back to comics, and it's 1945 at the Imperial Army Base in Japan. Here, a kamikaze pilot named Kenji Oyama 
prepares for his final mission. And he's told to fly like a divine wind, and also to show the gaijin that they are unafraid. And I always thought gaijin was just like a catch-all for foreigner. Uh, Maybe I'm wrong, but if that is the case, then this is an even more stilted line of dialogue than it originally looks to be. So now why did we bother name-dropping this Kenji guy? Well, he'll become Lord Dark Wind, a baddie who would appear in Daredevil number 196 through 199, that's March through June 1983 cover date, which uh, featured a Daredevil and Wolverine team-up. Now, outside of that Daredevil arc, uh, Lord Dark Wind only ever appeared again in Alpha Flight number 34, May 1986 cover, until today. Now, his gimmick is that he survived his kamikaze mission crashing into an aircraft carrier and is shamed that he didn't die with honor. So let's see if this issue fixes that. From here, we visit with that target aircraft carrier where we see a Lieutenant Xavier, and this is, uh, according to Logan, this is Charles's father, He's peering through a pair of binocs, and he sees the planes coming, but also another, one that he refers to as being Canadian. It's got a French flag on the side, so close enough, I guess. I, I don't know much about World War II. Maybe, maybe Canada flew French flags. I don't know. Uh, from here, we hop to an info page, and it is the Ben Percy special. It's a page of dialogue that could have very easily been drawn, but wasn't. Here, Gene and Xavier discuss the butterfly effect, and deduce that everyone within a mile radius of these past happenings ought to be mind-wiped. So, same as it ever was. Back to comics, and we are back in Columbia. Here, of course, Wolverine's been possessed by Omega Red, and he's just about to strike out at and kill Charles Xavier, who's here to demonstrate for the Amazon rainforest or something. But, before he can act, he himself is attacked by Sabretooth who I guess managed to get that beehive off his head from last issue. Omega Wolverine, not to be confused with the Omega Wolverine that's appearing in X-Deaths, appeals to Creed, telling him they ought to be on the same side here. Even goes as far as to tell Vic that he is a victim of Xavier too. To which Creed's all, who's Xavier? Back to Weapon X, and uh, you remember that silly symbiote we saw swimming in Logan's blood? Well, it's time to let it take over. And so, over the course of two entire pages, our boy's body turns into a venomized variant cover. And he's even got, like, the nullified spiral gimmick on his head. So it doesn't look like it's going to end well for old Abe. From here, we hop back to the Pacific, where Logan flies toward the aircraft carrier to save Xavier, picking off a couple of the kamikazes as he approaches. Back to Columbia. Omega Wolverine and Sabretooth slap meat for a while, and Xavier is ushered back to his helicopter. Now, he does look back, and he swears that there's something very familiar about one of these fighting fellas. And he's probably thinking about the one who cut his umbilical cord back in the long ago. Back to Weapon X, where Wolvenamarine? Wolvenamarine? Uh, chases Cornelius for a bit. We do get an editorial footnote here, which directs us to Web of Venom, Venom, October 2018 cover date, which showed Logan in Vietnam getting his symbiotic infection. From here, things go even more rapid fire with our, uh, with our scenes switching and playing out here. We go back to the Pacific, where Logan flies his plane toward the kamikazes and bails out. Then in Colombia, Sabretooth bites through one of Omega Wolvie's tentacles, which I'm guessing aren't carbonadium or whatever. Uh, that or Vic's teeth are sharper than I thought, and his jaw is uh, stronger than I thought. Back to Weapon X, Wolvenamarine is still chasing Corny. Now the scenes continue to play out, even rapid fire 
In the Pacific, Logan chops the wing off of, I'm assuming, Kenji's plane. Columbia, Sabretooth beats Wolverine, he's knocked out. And in Canada, Cornelius somehow manages to noink the symbiote from Logan, so maybe he's playing high-frequency sound? Is that still one of Venom's weaknesses? I really couldn't tell you. From here, we head to our wrap-up. We are back in Krakoa, where Jean has lost connection with Logan. Xavier tries to do some sort of mind-meld thing with the Cerebro helmets, which results in him getting stabbed through both shoulders by our man, who is now being controlled by Mikhail, I think? Uh, they've, they've set the stage here to evoke some sort of parallel in methodology. Uh, Xavier is, like, you know, leaning over Wolverine while Mikhail is leaning over Arcady. I, I don't know. I, I mean, we've said this before, we'll say it again, but this seems like something that could have been done straight away from the jump, right? Anyway, that's not all, because we do wrap up with a mostly blank quote page where Omega Wolverine has some words of wisdom to share with us. Now, is this Omega Red Wolverine? or the phalanxy one from X-Deaths. I don't know, and it probably doesn't matter. But that's where we leave it. Next time out, we're talking X-Men number nine. But that, of course, is next time. So for now, let's talk about this, where, you know, I don't know. I feel like the like the primary draw of this Zlato, Zlato series is... Uh, the insanity. I think that's what it had going for it. It's just nuts, right? Everything's off the wall. It's just, it's bat spit insane. Here, relatively speaking, it feels like we're playing it safe. Maybe it's because we're well into the second half of this thing now, and, you know, beats are gonna have to start finally paying off. Maybe the novelty's worn off. Yeah, speaking, speaking of which, I'm trying to think back to a time where seeing a venomized Wolverine would have been novel. I mean, is there a single character who hasn't been venomized over the past couple of years? Yeah, the Law of Diminishing Returns hit that concept pretty hard. Uh, I mean, it doesn't even matter how cool a visual it is. It's just, we've seen it so many times before, there's absolutely nothing special about it. Um, you know, I really don't have a whole lot to say here. Uh, everything kind of went the only way it possibly could have to continue the story, right? You know, all the scenes that we got had to play out pretty much exactly the way they did, with no variation and no deviation to make sure the story can continue, and that's exactly what it did. Uh, we do get a meaningless cliffhanger where an Xavier might be dead again, I mean, I know I've railed about this sort of thing in the past, but if the entire premise of your line is based on immortality via resurrection, then why and how is this a cliffhanger that we're still using all the time? You know, it's like Hickman tried. He, re he really, really tried to... I don't know if it's over-romanticizing it or placing too much importance on it, but he, it's like he, he almost tried to change the language of superhero comics, or even like serialized pulp and pop fiction. You know, he took the one thing off the table that was meant to keep us coming back. We weren't coming back month after month or week after week to see if someone survived because that didn't matter anymore. It was more about the society that was building around these concepts. 
which, at least in the short term, is a very interesting thing to, uh, to explore and examine. However, rather than being delicate with it, the entire concept was run into the ground within weeks of the line's launch. We had cliffhangers of death since the start. And here again, our cliffhanger is, maybe Xavier's dead? So the F what? I mean, he's died at least twice in the past couple of years, which, according to the timeline established in Inferno, is only a couple of weeks in Krakoa time that he's been dead multiple times. I can actually think of three times off the top of my head. You know, when the Wetworks guy assassinated him back in X-Force number one, we had uh, Legion blowing up the, uh, the Green Lagoon in uh, Way of X, and of course we had him dying in Inferno. So as a cliffhanger in general, this just doesn't work. Also, the fact that we've been bombarded with all of the solicits for upcoming books with Xavier front and center, I, I don't think we have much to worry about here. Um, but let's, uh, let's look at the other end of this. What exactly does Mikhail win here by killing Xavier? Because if this was successful, all he did was kill a current-year Xavier. I mean, Krakow is already set up. This doesn't change anything. I really don't know. And I think over the past couple of uh, installments of Zlato, Zlato I, I've mentioned that the, the seams are beginning to show. And, um, well, the seams are starting to open now. And that's, that's not a good thing. I suppose we're just going to have to wait and see. See if uh, this comes together. See if this makes any sense. Uh, I, you know, I'd say I'm not confident, <laughs> but uh, that seems a little, a little too crisp of a uh, response, a little too cynical of a response. But um, we'll see. You know, we'll be there for it. Um, I will say the art here was really, really cool. I appreciated that. You know, we did get some scenes from uh, Federico V. Vicentini, however I say that name, or however you're supposed to say that name, I should say. I like that they kept it in the family, you know, of the Zlato's Lato books here, instead of putting another artist on those uh, World War II pages, because it might go a little ways toward mitigating uh, unevenness in the art, rather than adding another artist into the fray. So, it looked really cool, all the scenes looked great, it's just, uh, I'm at the point where I'm starting to question the directions and the additions to some of these scenes. But um, like I said, I guess this is a, just a wait-and-see situation. But I think that's all I got to say about the issue. Let's hop into the mailbag before we cut out of here. We do have a letter from Evan. But before that, I do have a couple of voicemails in the hopper. I just can't access the voicemail. So um, I apologize for the ones that are sitting in there. But I will get to them just as quickly as I'm able to crack the code that I set for myself, I guess. I don't know. Anyway, mailbag. Evan, X-Men 8. Now, oh, Evan starts with, I can't believe I dropped a spoiler in the midst of my complaining about spoilers. Please accept my sincere apology and spare me from the pit. And, uh, it's all good, brother. I mean, I'm sure I've, uh, inadvertently spoiled folks in the past and probably will in the future, but, uh, no worries there. No worries at all. Evan continues, I enjoyed X-Men number 8, but I understand your criticisms. I think Everett's remorse over the mind-wipe of Ben Urich may be a combination of both reasons you suggested, in that he probably realized he was crossing an ethical line, but thought he was justified in protecting Krakoa. The fact that he may have prevented something positive from happening underscores how wrong what he did was. If Urich's story had been more negative, I think Sink still would have felt some remorse, but might have been able to convince himself that it was a necessary evil. And yeah, totally. We are pretty much on the same page 
in as far as uh, as Everett's uh, motivations and his constitution and uh, his feelings of remorse and it's questionable feelings of remorse as you, as you mentioned and as I mentioned in that episode whereas um, say Yurik was working on some like really harsh and critical expose just really vilifying the mutants it would have been easier for Sink to justify his actions you know as being Maybe not so much for the greater good, but for self-preservation. I think my main criticism is that we didn't go deep enough into Everett's uh, thought processes here. And that's one of the main criticisms I have about this, uh, the flagship book, is that it's not very character-focused. We, we get these character bits, but they come across as being afterthoughts. Now, I may be projecting, because as I said, we're not getting much in the way of characterization, but I feel like... Duggan's really been pushing for Everett as the like the conscience of this team of X-Men because I guess it's like process of elimination. Who else on the team could we look at as being morally unambiguous? Pretty much everyone else on the team is self-serving, aloof, or just a jerk. Everett was different, though. He was the one I think we were supposed to be able to count on to always do the right thing. And the fact that he did something wrong, he overstepped and he abused his powers, I feel like that should have been treated with more gravity rather than just being like, oh yeah, by the way, I did that. It could be due to the fact that he's so young that these decisions are a little bit less weighty, I suppose. It's not like the way we've seen Beast's ethics kind of, well, kind of waver, very much waver. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> in uh, his behaviors and methodology and the way he approaches what he, what it is that he does. But still, this feels kind of, like I said, kind of like an afterthought. It's not satisfying. I don't know if it's supposed to be satisfying, but it's not. And in the end, all it does is take, you know, the one character who was kind of our touchstone for ethics and morality in the team, at least in my opinion, and make him just like everybody else. But then again, I mean, this is current year X-Men, so we're always just a couple months away from the next Hellfire Gala and new team being elected, so uh, maybe there are plans for Sync. Maybe there aren't plans for Sync. I guess that's just another uh, thing we're going to have to wait and see. But uh, thank you so much for writing in, Evan. I always enjoy hearing from you. And uh, if anybody out there would like to write in and chat me up, I would love very much for you to do so. You can find me several different ways. Uh, I'm on Twitter at Ace Comics. Instagram, 90s X-Men. The email is weirdcomicshistory at gmail.com. And the voicemail hotline, uh, hopefully I'll be able to (laughs) empty that out pretty soon, is 623-396-JERK. For blog posts and show notes, Chris is on infiniteearths.com. The Facebook group is 90s X-Men. The complete audio archives, chrisandreggie.podbean.com, available on all noise aggregation applications. And finally, there is the Patreon. That is patreon.com slash xlapsed. I'd like to thank you all so much for choosing to spend some of your day with me. And until next time, as always, I'll talk to you again real soon. See ya.